Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. You can make this possible. In a testimony before a congressional panel yesterday, Baltimore State's attorney Marilyn Mosby said that her city is a prime example of how the war on drugs has failed. She joins us now to talk about why she believes that marijuana should be decriminalized on a federal level. Uh, State's Attorney Mosby, are you there? I am here. How are you today? Well, better, better now that you've joined us. And uh, thanks, as always, for your continuing work on behalf of not only our people, but all the citizens of Baltimore and for the example. Um, so you were here in the district to testify before Congress, this subcommittee, uh, on this issue of decriminalizing marijuana and uh, doing it on a federal level. Could you walk uh, our viewers through why not only this is an important issue, but how you're distinguishing between what you're already doing on the ground there in Maryland and what you uh, really want the feds to do? So I was honored um, to be invited to the subcommittee of the judiciary, um, and it's the Crime and Terrorism and Homeland Subcommittee. Um, and it was chaired by Karen Bass of California, um, who convened this hearing. And it was about racial justice, 
marijuana laws in America and racial justice and the need for reform. And I was honored because it gave me an opportunity to kind of talk about the discriminatory enforcement of laws against poor black and brown people. We know that this war on drugs that Congress signed off on has really been a war on black poor, black and brown people. And essentially it has been at the disservice and the disadvantage to our communities. And so I was given the opportunity to address Congress. I had several sort of proposals. And one of those proposals is I'm advocating for not just the decriminalization, but the legalization of marijuana federally. And that's for a number of reasons. Right now, federally, it's against the law. The Controlled Substances Act says that you cannot be, it's a, it's a Schedule One narcotic right next to heroin, which in and of itself is a problem because it's not as you know um, dangerous as that type of drug. But it's a Schedule One narcotic, and you have 11 states who have already legalized um, marijuana, and that's a conflict of interest. And furthermore, the issue that I saw in this was that we have to allow the states to regulate tax and to be able to make the determination about what to do with, with marijuana laws. And the reason I say this is because with the regulation of marijuana, it diminishes the black market or the distribution of marijuana. We know that distribution of drugs fuels violence. And you look at my city, um, you know, unfortunately, Baltimore has been, is, is, is woven within the fabric of the United States. And yet we're, lead in per capita homicides. We lead in, in, in the number of opioid deaths, you know, and, and, and we're one of the most impoverished cities in the entire country. And a lot of that has to do with this failed war on drugs. And so what I went up to Congress to say was, you all are somewhat responsible for these federal and financial incentives that you have provided to the states to enforce these laws in discriminatory ways. We know that nationally, that you as an African-American or a black person, you are four times more likely to be arrested for the possession of marijuana than a white person. That's problematic because we know that the use and consumption of marijuana among black people and white people are the same. And yet, and still, even after the decriminalization of marijuana, in the city of Baltimore, 95% of the citations that they issue for um, marijuana for 10 grams or less are going to black people. 42% of the citations that they're issuing city-wide is going to one out of nine police districts, which represents 9% of the population within the city and is 95% black and disproportionately poor. So when you look at those stats, what that tells you is that there has been discriminatory enforcement that has had collateral consequences, not just on individuals, but on whole communities. And recognizing that, what I went to Congress to say was that you now have a responsibility, understanding that this was a failed war on drugs, to reinvest not only in individuals through reentry services and ensuring that we have mass expungement and vacature and consider the resentencing that we've treated this, what should be a public health crisis as it criminal, criminalized it. But I also argue that we should also be reinvesting in our communities in ways in which we're the ones that have, have suffered the most at the hands of these failed policies. Well, you haven't, uh, you certainly haven't waited on Congress to act. Uh, um, seems to me that you're following in a long tradition of black state's attorneys in Baltimore. I remember uh, when Kurt Schmoke, who was, I think, at that time the youngest uh, state's attorney elected in Maryland, really began that conversation about how uh, legalizing 
uh, some use of drugs. But you, uh, in January, covered here on Roland's show, uh, you, you said, I'm going to stop prosecuting folks for this possession. And then you've even gone into court and asked that records be expunged, that the number of years between the time you've been convicted of something and the expungement be shrunk. I mean, so you're not waiting on Congress to act, are you? No, I'm not going to wait on Congress, and I'm not going to wait on the state to act either. And and that's that's the point, right? Like in January, I came out. They haven't changed the possession laws, and they have not ensured that they're making that investment in our communities. They're giving me issues about vacating the 5,000 convictions. But I came out in January and said, in considering this discriminatory enforcement, as a state's attorney, I can never be complicit in the discriminatory enforcement against. Uh, poor black and brown people of laws against poor black and brown people. And so I'm not going to prosecute the possession of marijuana, Kate, uh, marijuana. And we, I'm going to move to vacate the convictions of over 5,000 individuals. And I argue that it was violative of the 14th amendment for this discriminatory enforcement, the equal protection clause. And the courts have come back and said, no, you don't have a legal mechanism to be able to vacate these convictions. So I'm still fighting, which is one of the reasons why I went to Congress to say, hey, we need federal incentives to make sure that the states put in there, you know, their, ensure that they are fighting for the individuals that have been most impacted. The fact that in the state of Maryland, there's an expectation that you have to wait four years before you can get your, your, your record expunged for the possession of marijuana when it's no longer even a crime for, for 10 grams or less is ridiculous. And so, you know, that's what Congress has the power to be able to do, is to, to incentivize the state through their financial means. They incentivize the states through their financial means when they enforce these laws. You have, you know, grants and, and task forces that were implementing these laws against poor black and brown people. Now it's incumbent on them to also incentivize the states to right the wrongs of the past. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember election night 2012. Uh, we were covering the stuff at Howard, and I was in a auditorium full of students. And uh, they saw the marijuana leaf come up on the screen, and everybody started cheering, realizing that Colorado had become a state that had uh, legalized marijuana for recreational use. Um, and of course, we know that Washington State did that as well, as you said. But you made a Tenth Amendment argument before Congress the other day. For the viewers who might not be clear about the relationship between the states and federal government when it comes to these laws, here in D.C., for example, is decriminalized, but don't be called it a federal park, like national parks, because that's where federal law occurs. Why did, why did you bring up the Tenth Amendment for folks who might not understand the relationship between state law and federal law when it comes to this issue? Well, because this is this is the distinction, right? And this is why I'm saying that there should be legalization, not just decriminalization of marijuana. We have to legalize it because the federal government right now is saying that it's illegal. However, there are some certain states, as you've mentioned, Colorado, um, you know, Washington state, where they're saying it is legal, right? And that in and of itself is a conflict. And it, it becomes a conflict and issue when it comes to banking issues for those that are in the industry, the marijuana industry. And what we're saying is that we, we can't have technically the federal government can go into the state of, of Colorado and arrest people, even though people are complying with state law. And so that in and of itself is a conflict. And what we're saying and what I argued is that we need to eliminate that conflict and the federal government shouldn't have oversight it should be up to the states. We should treat marijuana the same way that we treat alcohol, allow the states to regulate and to tax. It, it's, it's better for the states to be able to control from, from, from a public safety and consumer 
uh, safety perspective to be able to make a determination as to, you know, what restrictions they're going to put on marijuana, what what are the, you know, dispensaries and, and young people having to come in and to show IDs. You have your quality control testing of the substance so that there's no, it diminishes the black market. Right now in the black market, marijuana is being laced with other sort of substances, right? We want to diminish that. And that's what we're saying. And that's what I was arguing to to the, um, to the Congress is that, hey, we have to ensure that we don't have these conflicts um, that are violative of the 10th Amendment. Well, State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, every time we see you, you know, always thank you for continuing to fight on behalf of us. And uh, as a proud graduate of Tuskegee uh, University, oh, no. well, uh, you're a graduate of Tuskegee. My mom was born about 30 minutes from there. Every time I think no. about it, you know, no question. Ain't just ain't you, you know. It's T-U, you know. Mother Tuskegee, as we say. So <laughs> th thanks again, uh, State's Attorney Mosby. And please keep us informed as the fight moves on and, uh, and keep the fight And up. I anticipate and I hope they will have bipartisan support and we get the kind of you know, federal incentives and, and, and resources that are needed for the states to comply and to rectify what has been a wrong against poor black and brown people. So thank you for you, your support, and, and, and I appreciate you. We're here always. Thank you again. All right. All right. Yeah, so we, we've heard from State's Attorney uh, Marilyn Mosby, and we're going to turn now to uh, to our panel, our regular panel, including uh, Quadricus Driscoll, who is an, a adjunct professor at the George Washington University, and Erica Savage-Wilson, host of Savage politics. Well, not only decriminalizing, but legalizing marijuana. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Rodriguez or Erica, y'all who's jumping? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'm very curious about is because this has not been really parceled out for states to settle, um, what is the communication between different states' attorneys about how to handle um, those individuals that are being um, incarcerated, being arrested? Um, because I'm still believing that black and brown folks are still paying the penalty oh, no um, for being um, users or sellers of a drug that has definitely enriched our non-people um, of color community. And also, there are degrees that people can now begin to uh, pursue in the study of marijuana. So as these, you know, different wealth um, opportunities come available, I'm just wondering the conversation between states' attorneys about how um, we can kind of, like, right the wrongs that still are felt among black and brown communities. That's very interesting. That's it. That's going to inject itself properly into this presidential election, oh, yeah. the election yeah. cycle. Um, Quadricus, I'm thinking, Prof, about some of the things that happened in California. I know after uh, it was legalized, for example, or decriminalized, mm -hmm. in, in the Bay Area, for example, these very people who have been arrested for drug sales right. now don't have the capital to rent a storefront, to get a loan, mm -hmm. to get into the now legitimate business of selling marijuana. Now, we heard Attorney Mosby right, right. talk about this. What do you, where do you see the future of this going? Or is there a future even for our people who used to be hand-to-hand -hand herb hustlers and well, now they can't get out here and get a license to do it legitimately? I mean, it's, it's dare I say, it's the same shit done over again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it always starts where we are poor black and brown people are always behind the eight ball. Yes. Because now what we do know is that we have our white brothers and sisters who are making bank off of this. Right. The former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, Come on, is a senior policy advisor Come on. Yes. for one of the largest cannabis companies yes. in the country. I would have expected that alcohol was his, uh, was his drug of choice, but I guess that's for consumption, not profit. We talk about anyway, I'm out here. Right. We talk about morals and society, right? Price drink wine, I'm sure they so, tell you that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so the, the reality is, our 
people have, un, you know, unfortunately and for various reasons, have had to use marijuana to survive and, and to sell, including members of my own family, dare I say, right? No question. Uh, and so here we are now talking about decriminalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. There have been a large number of black and brown people who have been jailed in prison exactly right, right. for this. And now it's a huge money maker. I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be on the stock exchange soon, right? Well, well let so, me ask you, do you have any thoughts about the fact that our brother Sean Carter seems to have jumped into this pool? Uh, Jay-Z Jay Jay right? Absolutely. in this. I mean, I mean, where should we come down on this? I, well, I, I think it is um, most incumbent that black and brown folks, as, as you just mentioned, brother, um, are afforded the opportunities right. to make the money that really has been paid with time, um, and being like, how you do that? How you do that? Exactly. Absolutely. And so I, so I think like for folks that um, have attained a certain wealth status, mm -hmm. to go in and kind of clear the field the same way we've seen them, um, and I'm saying them meaning like um, folks like, you know, you mentioned Sean Carter, um, to go in and kind of clear the field the same way they have done with when they've seen oh. injustices done with other families, right. to also clear the field in that way because he himself, you know, he's talked and rapped yeah. about, you know, I'm a, a loyal fan of oh. kids about, you yeah. know, you right. selling drugs right. no and using that money in order to um, bring his uh, career to fruition. So yeah. I think that clearing the field in that way so that black and brown folks who have paid the penalty with time away from their family, mm -hmm. harsh pr prison sentences, are able to benefit legally right. by way of having dispensaries, have those storefronts that are set up like, you know, was demonstrated in mm -hmm. Oakland, to be able to go out and pioneer those spaces. Mm -hmm. and, and just to add to that, furthermore, I mean, I, I, I teach part-time at George Washington, but I'm a healthcare lobbyist by day. Yes, sir. And so yes, sir. we also need to talk And we heard her talk about the opioid right, crisis. the opioid right, right. crisis That's and exactly the medical right. benefits yes, sir. that are associated yes, sir. with moderate amount of cannabis or marijuana use, Absolutely. right? When you look at chronic conditions like psoriasis, mm. which is a not a skin disorder, it's an autoimmune, right? When you look at certain psychological disorders, mental illness, it is, there are studies that have done and show that marijuana is a soothing, calming effect when done, of course, in moderation yeah. and with the proper dosage, yeah. right? So there, there's, there are multiple reasons to so, decriminalize. So it sounds like maybe, you know, our colleagues and friends at Meharry Medical College, Morehouse School of Medicine, Howard University Medical School, we're going to need some research right. studies yes. to get yes. behind yes. Black institutions right. need to be thinking a little bit more strategically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Particularly as they're, you know, the attend um, and, and they're not gaining the numbers that they need to mm -hmm. in terms of funding. I totally agree with you, Dr. Carr, that mm. these are different avenues that they can look to can really expand and, and really gain well, Let's more. get after it. And right. like you said, we can make some money. I know one of the supporters of Roland Martin Unfiltered, you know, he's some sisters who getting us to invest in some hemp farming. So uh, pay attention to these ads mm. as we see on Roland Martin Unfiltered. So, All right, folks, that's got Roland Martin Unfiltered video in just one moment. Marijuanastock.org is another great investment opportunity if you were lucky enough to invest in, uh, in their last crowdfunding campaign. Uh, you, of course, now know that those folks are invested in a publicly traded company. They raised a ton of money in a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Now, of course, they have a new investment opportunity, uh, which is as good or if not even better. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is the cousin to marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. 
They need land to grow all the plants, which makes for an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is real simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to high paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords. And you can get in on the action. You can invest in the crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. Like I said, you may not want to miss out on this opportunity. Go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org to get the game and to do it now. Now back to your Roland Martin Unfiltered video. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.